Amen, amen. Hey, church, would you give the Lord a hand just one more time? I mean, what an awesome morning in the Lord so far. We get the opportunity every Sunday to worship the Lord in so many different ways. We worship the Lord through singing, through prayer, through giving here in a few moments. Uh, And right now, we get the opportunity to worship the Lord through studying His Word. So, if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 45. Genesis chapter 45 is where we're going to be this morning. Let me begin by introducing myself. Some of you may not know who I am. You maybe have never seen this ugly mug before. Um, My name is Jordan Massey. I am our campus pastor at our Southwest campus, and I'm so thankful to be here. Uh, At our Southwest campus, I oversee all of our ministries and preach on Sundays, uh, and I get the opportunity to preach here this Sunday, and so, so glad to be here with you, and what an awesome experience so far, right? I mean, one more time, give a hand for the Lord. I mean, come on. But we are wrapping up a series on Genesis where we've been seeking to answer a question that we think all of us are asking, and it's the question of, God, uh, what are you doing? Uh, We want to know what God is doing in our lives. We want to know what God is doing in our family, in our city, in our workplaces, in our nation. We want to know what God is doing. And sometimes that question comes from a place of anger. Sometimes that question comes from a place of sorrow. Sometimes that question just comes from a place of general curiosity. But we think we've all been there before where we ask, uh, God, what are you doing? And we believe that the answer to that question is found right here in the pages of Scripture. And so we've been looking through the book of Genesis, and we're concluding the series here, seeking to answer the question, God, what are you doing? Even better, God, what do you want to do? What do you want to do in my life? And so we are in Genesis 45, wrapping up this series. As you're turning there, though, I have a confession to make, and I shared this with our Southwest campus last week. This is something that's been hiding in the dark for a long time, and it's time that I come clean with you all here Expose myself here. Here we go. My confession is is that I am a passenger seat driver. Yeah, I hear the gasp. I hear the gasp. I I see the looks of judgment, right? I I know. I, I deserve all of it. I am the worst passenger seat driver. You you all, you should pray for my wife. Uh just in general, right? She's married to me. But you should really pray for her because of my passenger seat driving tendencies. And what is so funny is that I I grew up uh, watching my mom passenger seat drive and thinking that she was loony, right? I I remember when my brother got his permit. Now, I'm the youngest of four, okay? My brother is the closest in age to me. He's three and a half years older than me. So my brother gets his permit. Now, before we even begin, just raise your hand if you have trained someone how to drive, right? You've been in that passenger seat with a new driver in the driver's seat, all right? So a lot of souls who we need to pray for, okay? But I remember sitting in the back seat of the car while my brother was learning to drive. And let's be honest, first-time drivers, new drivers, they're not great drivers. He wasn't terrible. And I remember watching my mom and thinking, who is this woman? She's a crazy person. I mean, I remember thinking, sitting in the back seat going, we're going to have to figure out how to provide care for my mom because, I mean, she's, she's loony. She's lost it as she's stomping her invisible brake, right? We've got some of those in the room, some invisible brake stompers. Uh, she's grabbing the 
the handle that I don't know what to call in church, right? Uh, she's grabbing that handle over her head. I hear the laughters because you all call it the same thing, all right? She's grabbing that handle. She's screaming. She's losing her mind over what I considered. I'm in the back seat. I'm like 12 years old, and I consider it to be little things. And I remember thinking, man, my mom, she's crazy. And as most of you know, as you get older, the things that you see in your parents, you begin to see in yourself, right? And so it was just a few months ago that I realized I'm my mother. I am my mother in a vehicle. I stomp the invisible brake. I grab my handle. My mom, at least my mom was straightforward with her comments. I make these passive-aggressive comments. They're they're the worst. I'll say things like, huh, you know, I probably wouldn't hold the steering wheel that way. Or, you know, I typically would use a blinker in that situation. All these different little comments that I make. And and it's, it's so bad that if you ever see my wife and I in a vehicle and I'm in the passenger seat, you need to pray for me because we're on the way to the hospital. Because I am somehow sick and I cannot physically drive. I mean, we've made this agreement that anywhere we go, I drive. And it's not because she's a bad driver. It's not because she doesn't like to drive. It is because I am the worst rider. I'm the worst. And it causes problems for our relationship when we're going from point A to point B. And here's what's funny. I can, I can talk about how silly this is, and, and we've got passenger seat drivers in the room. Uh, raise your hand if you're a passenger seat driver. Let me see it. Raise your hand if your spouse is a passenger seat driver. That's a lot more hands. I just want you to know, a lot more hands just went up than the first question. And we can talk about how, how that silly kind of situation, but, but here is the real issue, and here's where I really have to get real with you all is that my passenger seat driving is not the problem. The problem is what lies beneath my passenger seat driving. And I think it's a problem that we all identify with. The problem is, is that I need control. I need it. I crave it. And, and I wish I could say that the only place I passenger seat drive in my life is in a vehicle, but that just wouldn't be true. That would be a lie. I'm a passenger seat driver in the majority of the areas of my life because I need control. I look for it. I go hunting for it. If I don't have it, I begin to panic. If I feel like I don't have control or I may not have control in the future, I'm going to run from it. And I think as I come clean here, I hope that I'm not the only one in this room who feels that way. In fact, I believe that at the root of all of our major fears is a fear of losing control. I was just thinking about this. I mean, think about parents who send their children to school for the first time. Uh, Andrea and I, we don't even have kids yet, and I stay up at night thinking about the day that we'll send our kid to school for the first time, right? But you parents, you've done that. And for a lot of people, especially in situations where you have stay-at-home moms who've taken care of their child practically, I mean, actually their whole life, and for the first time, you're sending your kid to a school with people that you just met, and you're relinquishing your control of your child to someone else, and that terrifies you. Terrifies you. Even more seriously, it's the reason that we run from relationships. 
and deep, intimate relationships is because we know that in a relationship, we're not the only one who's in control. And someone may hurt us because they have control over what they do to us. And so we run from it. It's the reason we stay up at night thinking about our employment and whether or not we'll have it in a few months. It's because we know that ultimately we do not have control over whether or not we'll be employed tomorrow. That it's someone else's decisions. Unless you're at the very, very top, and even if you're at the very, very top, then there's probably someone over you. And so all of these fears, these major fears that we have in our life, I believe the root of it, and I hope you would agree with me, at least it is for me, the root of my major fears is not having control. And so what do we do? We do exactly what I do. We reach for the steering wheel. We try and grab control in every area of our life. And the tragedy is, is that as we grab control, everything we touch gets broken. At least that's been the story for me. That my life, as I reach for more and more and more and more control, everything that I put my hands on somehow gets marred. It's broken. It's distorted. It's not what it was meant to be. In fact, I mean, this is what we see in the story of Genesis, right? If we look at the story of the, what we call the original sin, where we believe everything that is broken about this world began. Genesis chapter 3 is a story of mankind, of Adam and Eve, seeking to grab what? Control. They want to determine their outcome. They want to be the authors of their life. They want to be the one who says what comes next. And so they say, God, it doesn't matter what you've said. It doesn't matter what you've outlined. I'm going to take control here. And so they literally reach out and try and grab control, grab the fruit. And what do they do? They, they break everything. And as we read the story of Genesis, we see that story unfolding as the good creation that God makes falls apart. All because we want control. And, and, and you hear that story, maybe it's the first time you've heard the story of Adam and Eve. Maybe you're here this morning, it's your first time in church. But you know that story because you've lived that story. You've lived the story of grabbing control, thinking that control is the answer that control is what will make you feel safe, that control is what will give you peace and satisfaction. And so you grab for it, and the only thing you find is more and more brokenness, more and more pain, more and more shame, more and more regret, on and on and on and on. And so here, here's what's so tragic, and here's, here's what I want us to talk about this morning. The tragic thing is, is that as I read the stories of Scripture I find that I was not made for the driver's seat. I was not created to be in control. And church, we believe that you were not created to be in control. You were not created to be in control. You were not created to be in the driver's seat. It is only because of our broken, fallen nature that we long for, that we crave for control. But in fact, the ironic part about all of this that it's only when we are not in control that we're being who God created us to be. It's only that when we're not in control that we'll find true satisfaction, that we'll find true joy. It's only when we let go of the thing that we desire most that we find true life. And so this morning as we wrap up this series about what it is that God does, I want you to know, church, 
God controls. God controls. He is in control. And the only way that we can be truly human, the only way we can truly be who we are, is if we let God be who he is. And so this morning, our our main idea is this. God's control allows us to be truly human. God's control allows us to be truly human. When we decide that we're going to let go of the thing that we want most, the thing that we crave the most, when we choose to let go of that, God can be God and we can be human. So if you have pen, if you have paper, I tell our folks at the Southwest Campus this every week. If you don't write something down, you will forget it. And it's not because you're dumb like I am. It's because you're human, right? If we don't write things down, we typically forget them. Our main idea God's control allows us to be truly human. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at this story of Joseph. And ultimately, Joseph is someone who realizes that he is not in control of his life. He's someone who realizes who is in control of his life. Someone who trusts in that person, that being who is in control. And someone who shows us a picture of what it looks like to be human. What it looks like to have true satisfaction, true joy, true life is not when we're in control, but when we're out of control, when we allow God to be in control. And so we're going to look at the story of Joseph. Rather, we're going to look at the conclusion of the story of Joseph, and we're going to see what it looks like to let God be in control. We're going to see what it looks like to be truly human here and to stop grabbing for the thing that we fear the most and to let God be the one who's in control control. So if you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 45 is where we're going to begin. Now now before I jump into the text, uh, a lot of you, you're familiar with the story of Joseph. Now we're going to jump into the story near the tail end. And so for some of you who may not be familiar with the story of Joseph, that's okay. Let me give you a brief, I mean brief, summary of the story of Joseph. Joseph is uh, a, a baby in a family of 12. He's got 12 siblings. And Joseph he uh, is a brat, okay? Let's just be honest. He's a spoiled brat like I am. I, I was the baby of my family, and I was the, the, my parents' favorite, and my siblings know that. It's just an agreed-upon fact in my family. Uh, you're laughing like it's a joke, but it's serious. My parents know it. My siblings know it. And Joseph, his, his father, Jacob, loved him more than any of his other brothers. And Joseph rubbed it in, right? He rubbed it in. They called him the dreamer. He had these dreams about ruling over his family, and he rubbed it into his brothers. And his brothers, they get what? They get mad as they would. Well, they do something that maybe not a lot of brothers would do. They said, I'm tired of this Joseph. I'm tired of this dreamer. Let's kill him. So they make a plan to kill him. And one of them is like, hey, why would we kill him? We could sell him. Why would we kill him? We can get him out of our life. We don't have to worry about him anymore. And we can make money off of him. Even better. And so they sell Joseph to some Egyptian slave traders. Joseph becomes a slave. He's sold into slavery. He leaves his family. What he holds on to, he loses his life as he knows it. He goes into the house of a man named Potiphar, and he is faithful to the Lord, faithful to kingdom principles, and he makes his way all the way up as the top of the household of Potiphar, and he's accused by uh, Potiphar's wife, who finds him very attractive and Potiphar's wife assaults Joseph, and Joseph runs away, and he infamously leaves his robe. He runs away butt naked. And Joseph, he, he, he's standing there, and Potiphar's wife says, well, he tried to rape me. And then so Potiphar, his, the household owner, sends Joseph to prison. 
So Joseph finds himself in prison. While he's in prison, he meets these guys, and they have these dreams, and he interprets their dreams for them. Those dreams come true, and Joseph says, hey, listen, you know about me now. When you get on the outside, tell people about me so that I can get out as well. Well, they forget him. His dream interpretation comes true. They still forget him until years and years and years later, Joseph is still in prison. Years and years and years and years later, Pharaoh has a dream. And that dream is about a famine that's to come. And Joseph is heard of. The person who he interpreted the dream for in prison remembers Joseph, tells Pharaoh. Pharaoh goes and gets Joseph. Joseph comes, interprets Pharaoh's dream, saves Egypt from disaster. The dream was about a famine. And so Joseph says, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to Uh, We're going to essentially hoard all of our goods that we can so that when the famine comes, we'll be able to provide. And so Joseph does this, and his uh, kingdom principles that he's faithful to leads him all the way to the top of Pharaoh's court. And right here in Genesis chapter 45, the famine has begun. People from all over the land are coming to Egypt, coming to Joseph to receive goods. And lo and behold, who shows up? His brothers. Now, don't forget what his brothers had done to him. His brothers wished him dead. They said, well, it's better we just sell you. His brothers sold him into slavery, ended his life as he knew it. And here's what we find in Genesis chapter 45. Joseph has already seen his brothers in the past, but he's finally, he he can't control himself anymore, as the text says. And here's what happens. Genesis chapter 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth, and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me. You and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And this is one of the coolest moments in all of Scripture, one of the coolest moments in the story of Genesis. But here's what I want you to see. I want you to see the picture of someone who trusts in God's control. Someone who believes in God's control over his life. I want you to see the fruit of what that looks like. What it looks like when we allow God to be in control. We say, I don't need to be in control. I'm comfortable in the passenger seat. I don't need to grab the steering wheel. 
when we, when we do that, when we can trust in God's control, this is what it looks like. The first point is this. God's control allows Joseph to love. God's control allows Joseph to love. Now, before I read this text again, I want you to remember what Joseph's brothers did to him practically the last time he saw them. Now, he's seen them a few times before this instance, but the last time that he really saw them, the last time that he really spoke to them, they were selling him as a slave, ending his life as he knew it, ripping him from everything that he knew and loved. That's the last thing that Joseph's brothers did to him the last time he saw them, and yet here's his response to his brothers. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph Is my father still alive? You see this? This is one of the more emotional scenes in all of Scripture. In fact, this is probably top five. And Joseph, his crying, there's a passage before here where Joseph cries so much that he has to wash his face before he goes back into the room with his brothers. It is the only, literally the only time that a character in the Bible, the whole Bible, has to wash their face from crying so much. Joseph is crying harder than anyone else in all of Scripture, and he's crying in front of the people who sold him as a slave. We see Joseph with a deep love for his brothers. If you keep reading and you go on to Genesis chapter 51, you'll see Joseph not only reminding them of God's goodness, but he speaks kindly to them. He speaks tenderly to them. Now, I don't know about you, but kindness and tenderness would not epitomize my behavior to those who sold me as a slave. I mean, Joseph has them in his hands. He can do whatever he wants with them. He can just have them killed if he wants. What does he choose to do instead? He chooses to love them. So the question we have to ask is why? How? I think the answer is right here on the pages. That Joseph recognizes that God was able to use what they did for good. In fact, ironically enough, Joseph tells his brothers, hey, look, you think that you sent me here to die? You think that you were ending my life? But in fact, you won't believe this. God took your choice to end my life as I knew it so that you could have life. I mean, think about the turn of events. It's only because Joseph is sold as a slave that he ends up in Egypt. He's able to interpret Pharaoh's dream. He's able to provide the wisdom that's needed to provide for the whole land when the famine comes. The very reason that Jacob's household, that Joseph's brothers and his father are able to survive the famine is because Joseph's brothers sold him as a slave. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. And Joseph has this perspective that he trusts that God is in control. And so he's able to love his enemies. He's able to love the ones who sold him as a slave. Does that remind you of anyone? Someone who trusts in God's plan so much that he's able to love his enemies? 
Maybe someone who was able to look at the person who was killing him and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Does that remind you of Jesus? See, Jesus is the same example. Jesus trusted in God's control. He trusted in God's plan so much so that even the ones that were killing him, he knew that God was using their act to kill him to save their life. Isn't that crazy? There's the mystery of the gospel that the greatest atrocity that's ever been committed in the history of mankind, there has never been a greater act of violence, a greater act of injustice than when Jesus was killed. And God used that act to redeem and save the ones who killed him. See, Jesus trusted in God's plan. He trusted in God's control. And so he was able to love even his enemies. And Joseph sets the same example here. That he believes so much in God's plan and God's control in his life that he's able to look at his brothers who sold him as a slave and say, I love you. It's okay. I forgive you. Weep with them. Speak tenderly to them. God's control allows Joseph to love. And wouldn't that be awesome if we could be in a place where we trusted in God's control in our life so much, God's plan for our life so much that even those who hurt us, that even those who reject us, that even those who speak evilly of us, that we could love them because we trust in God's plan, we trust in God's control, we trust that even in their act to hurt us, that God could use that very act to redeem them. God's control allows Joseph to love. And Joseph shows us what it looks like to be human here, loving even those who hurt him. That's not all we see here. God's control bears so much fruit in Joseph's life. The second thing we see is this. God's control allows Joseph to persevere. God's control allows Joseph to persevere. Look at verse 5. He says, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler of all the land of Egypt. What, what is Joseph doing here? Joseph is retelling the story, the story that Joseph's brothers have no clue about. And I imagine, I just imagine Joseph telling his brothers this story, and each time he gets to some type of major suffering or injustice, his brothers, they're just broken, and they're like, oh, we're so sorry. Just imagine, Joseph is telling them, he's like, look, I know you guys sold me as a slave, uh, but I I went to this guy's house, his name was uh, Potiphar, and and I did so well, I stuck to the principles that that our father Jacob taught me, uh, kingdom principles, and I made it all the way to the top of the house, uh, but then his wife accused me of something I didn't do, and I went to prison. And his brothers go, oh, no, you went to prison. And Joseph goes, no, don't worry. Don't worry. God was with me. God was with me. Because while I was in prison, I interpreted these guys' dreams, and I told them, hey, when you get out, uh, remember me. Uh, but they didn't remember me, and they forgot me. So I stayed there for, like, so many more years. And they go, oh, gosh, I'm so sorry, Joseph. We're sorry. We told you we're sorry. And he goes, no, don't worry. It's okay. God was with me. 
Because then one day, that guy who interpreted his dream, he remembered me. He remembered me and he told Pharaoh. And Pharaoh brought me out of prison. I interpreted Pharaoh's dreams. And it's because of that that I stand here today and I can provide for you. There's this recurring phrase as you read the story of Joseph. It's that the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. You see, God's control in Joseph's life, it not only allows Joseph to love those who hurt him, but it allows Joseph to persevere, to keep going. In the face of something that makes absolute zero sense, in the face of losing his life as he knows it, Joseph keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. Why? Because he trusted that somehow, some way, God was in control. We talk about Joseph weeping here in this story, and, and it's really this interesting, uh, kind of unique situation where this character in the Bible is just crying uncontrollably, and we ask why, and, and a big part of it is he's finally with his brothers. He's finally able to reveal himself. He's finally able to be reunited with his family and the people that he loves, and he's going to meet his father soon, but I think that a lot of the reason he's crying as well is that it's all beginning to click for him. That the story he's telling his brothers, he's finally seeing the big picture. And he's saying, look, look at this. God was with me the whole time. That even while you were selling me as a slave, God was with me. And I don't know about you, but I've met heroes of the faith who were able to say the same thing. That they went through trial after trial after trial after trial. And it was because of their belief that God was in control is because of their belief that God was somehow miraculously going to use those painful, dreadful things for their good, that they persevered and they kept going. God's control not only allows us to love, but God, God's control allows us to persevere. Our third thing we see this morning, our last thing, the fruit of God's control in Joseph's life. Look at verse 10. Joseph says, you shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. Does does that remind you of anyone? Listen to this. Joseph is promising his brothers And his father, he's promising them land, he's promising them blessing, he's promising them provision. Is there anyone else in the story of Genesis that promises characters land, blessing, and provision? Can you think of anyone? The Lord? Right, we read the story of God with Abraham, what does God promise to Abraham? He says, I'm going to give you a land, I'm going to make you a blessing, and you're going to be a blessing to others, and I'm going to provide for you, and I'm going to protect you. Do you see what's happening here? That's our third point this morning. God's control allows us to participate. God's control allows us to participate. Joseph, in this story, is acting like who? God. He's acting like the Lord, the same way that the Lord acts in the rest of Genesis. Right here at the conclusion of Genesis, Joseph is acting in that way. Can I remind you, can you turn the pages back to Genesis chapter 1, the creation of mankind? They're created in the image of God. I, I hope you see this here. 
Joseph is not only loving his enemies, loving those who hurt him. He's not only been able to, to persevere, but Joseph is participating in God's work in the world. Joseph is able to be a part of what God is doing in the world because of God's control. I just want you to imagine imagine that Joseph, he was given an option. He was at that crossroads. And someone gave him an option and said, hey, look, you can be sold as a slave, go to Egypt, all this crazy stuff is going to happen, you're going to end up in prison, it's going to be pretty bad. Or uh, you can stay with your family and just go about your life as you know it, it'll be great, you have maybe a few more coats and you can rub it in your brothers, it'll be awesome. What do you think, which path do you think Joseph would have chosen? I don't know about you, I, I would choose the coat path, right? I would choose the family path, life as I know it, keep moving forward. God is in control of Joseph's life, and it's because Joseph is not in the driver's seat. If Joseph was in the driver's seat, Joseph would have never been able to participate in what God was doing in the world. But it's because God is in control, it's because God is sovereign, God is moving all these things together, that Joseph here, at the end of the story, he is doing the work of the Lord. That's awesome. And we believe that to be true about our life. That we were created to take part in what God is doing in the world. And it's because of God's control, when we allow God to be Lord, when we allow God to be God, we can be human and we get to participate in what God is doing in the world. When we're willing to be out of control. When we're willing to let God be in control. This is the fruit Here's, here's what amazes me about the story of Joseph. God uses Joseph's brothers. I want, you to, I want you to think about that. God uses Joseph's brothers, people who are committed to violence, to an act of injustice, selling their brother as a slave, ending his life as he knows it. God uses them. God accomplishes his will even though his brothers decided to sell Joseph as a slave. And so here's what that tells me. That tells me this. God is going to accomplish his will whether you like it or not. He's either going to do it because of you or in spite of you. Because of you or in spite of you. God's going to do what he wants to do in this world. The only question is, are you going to take part in it? Are you going to take part in it? And so my challenge for us, as we are all passenger seat drivers, even if it's not in a vehicle, it's in other areas of life, as we all seek to grab that steering wheel, my challenge for us is this. Get in the game. Plain and simple, get in the game. Because here's what I believe. I believe if, if we are believers, right, that, that we're on the right team, right? We're on the right team. And God's going to do his work on the field whether you like it or not. The only question is, are you going to be on the sideline or are you going to be on the field? Are you going to participate in what God is doing in the world? Because look, God's the one driving. God's in control. The only variable is your willingness to take part in what he's doing. Joseph, 
and his brothers, they're both a part of God's plan. But who would you rather be? Joseph or his brothers? I don't know about you, but I'd much rather be Joseph. I'd much rather be the one who at the end of the story is acting just like the father. Extending grace, compassion, kindness to those who hated him. Persevering through the hard times and participating in what God is doing in the world. That's where I want to be. And hopefully the same is true for you. And so right now we're going to have a time to respond. And, and here's what I want. This, is, this time is often seen as a time where the broken down sinners come to the altar and we all judge them as they pray and, and confess their sins. And, and look, if you need a time to confess your sin, this is the time to do it. But that is not what I mean when I say we're entering a time of response. What I want to do here is I want to be a people who are willing to get in the game. And I believe that God has been calling each and every one of you to some type of action that's going to put you on the field. That God, look, he's going to do his work in your life. Whether, whether you like it or not, God is going to accomplish his will. Are you going to be a part of it? Let's get in the game this morning. Let's respond in that way. It, whatever it is, I, I believe there's something that God is calling you to take action. And maybe you've been attending for a while and you, and you think, man, God is calling me to, to become a member here. Or maybe God is calling me to be baptized. I've never been baptized. We believe in believers, baptism here. And so you want to take that step forward. Maybe you say, hey, I'm in the game, but I'm on the wrong team. I'm on the wrong team. I need, I need to give my life to Jesus. I need to become a believer. Whatever it is, we're all called to a response this morning. There is something that we can do to take a step forward and to take action and to say, God, look, I know that you're in the driver's seat. I know that you're in control and you're going to do what you want in this world. I just want to be a part of it. I want you to work your will because of me, not in spite of me. So I'm going to take action this morning. I'm going to get in the game, Lord. Whatever that may be, whatever action you need to take. I'm going to be down here. We're going to sing a song to respond. Justin's going to come forward. As we sing this song, would you take action? Would you be willing to get off the sidelines and to get in the game? Whatever that action may be, let's do that. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing. Father, we love you. God, we are so grateful that we aren't in control. Because, Lord, if we were, what a mess it would be. And so, God, we just pray that this morning you would give us the ability to surrender our desire for control. God, that we'd stop trying to grab that steering wheel, that we would let you be the author and the writer of our life. God, I pray that we would stop being passive people on the sidelines and that we would be active members of the team. Lord, that we'd participate in what you're doing in the world. God, I pray that you would work your will in Gainesville because of Westside Baptist Church. Because of the people here this morning. Lord, we love you. We thank you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.